0: Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the redeemed. Thank you once again for tuning into the podcast. This is Brother Tim McVeigh. And I just want to make an announcement that this Friday, Lord willing, we'll have a special guest preacher on the podcast. And we have had several guest preachers over the year that we've been doing this or less than a year we've been doing this. Uh, But it's a very special preacher, dear friend of ours is going to be on the podcast and we've recorded a message for him. And so we're looking forward to, to what the Lord's going to do on Friday and let me just say, we start family camp in Western Pennsylvania this Sunday, so pray for us out there. I'm going to try to get enough messages done this week, and maybe even in Summit Family Camp, to try to complete the rest of the two weeks. And before we start a King James Bible Conference, the King James Bible Conference, Lord willing, is going to start on the 15th of August, and it's going to run for three weeks. It's going to be Monday through Friday here on the podcast. And you don't want to miss that. It's great instruction concerning the King James Bible. I pray that'll be a help to you. So pray for us the family camp this week to come. And then also look forward to Friday. And not just hearing me over and over and over again, but the occasional guest preacher. And I promise you this, the message on Friday will be a help. It'll be a blessing to you. I listened to it today with my family. And we laughed, we cried, we enjoyed the Lord received help from God, and so we thank the Lord for that. As we look at the Messianic Psalms, in Psalm 78, we've talked about this in the Psalms of Asaph, and we dealt with this a little bit, but I want to look at this a little more clearly as we go to Psalm 78. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of these Messianic Psalms concerning this. But he prophesies here, it's this masculine of Asaph, this is going to be instruction, this is for their learning, this is for them to see, to understand, to hear, to hear. He said, give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And it's interesting because because Psalm 78 is such a great history of Israel, yet it's to their shame. And it's a reproach. The awfulness of the history of Israel, a nation that was God's nation, God's chosen people, and yet how they treated him, yet how they turned their backs on him. And it's the history that Asaph has written of them. But he said this in verse 2, I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old. Now Jesus Christ spake in those parables and he uttered those sayings of old in Matthew 13 and verse 36. That's the prophecy fulfilled. And so again, we see the prophecy of Asaph concerning Jesus Christ, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So Jesus Christ is going to tell parables, speaking of those things which have already transpired, those things that have already taken place. He's going to speak of things of old. And here's why God works that way. Here's why God has done that in the Psalms and for the children of Israel. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. So he said, we're not going to hide them from the children. They're going to see the power of God, the might of God. But might I say, part of that power of God Uh, part of that strength of God, the wonderful works, is his judgment. We'll see that. I believe it's in Psalm 80, Psalm 81 coming up. We'll see the judgment of God and how God uses that judgment and that this generation behind us might see God and might know God. In verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. They were even to put them upon the hems of their garments and write them on the scripts of paper and tie them upon their garments. And and we understood the law of God. They were to understand the laws, to obey the law of God. They would not displease the Lord, yet they did not. And he said that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. So this is why Jesus Christ is going to come and speak in these parables. He's going to speak of the days of old, that they will not forget the mighty works of God, the goodness of God that leadeth into repentance. But in verse 8, he says, And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And so he tells us, this is why Jesus Christ is going to come. This is why he's going to speak in parables. So when Christ fulfilled those parables, he spake of their fathers. He spake of days of old, but he spake of the marvelous workings of God. He spake how God brought them over the Red Sea and God brought them through the wilderness and God brought them over Jordan. And he continually reminded them of the goodness of God. And then verse 72 said this, So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Verse 20 of our last Psalm, we did in Psalm 77, now let us like people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And he said here, he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. So we see that God had a great interest in the children of Israel. God had a great purpose for the children of Israel. A mighty God did a mighty work in Israel, in the hearts of the children of Israel, to stir them up that they might see the work of God and see the moving of God and see what God has done for them. And that hasn't changed. That's why we preach. We want men to see the marvelous works of God. We want men to see the marvelous change lives through Jesus Christ, the miracles still done, and God is still doing miracles. Every birth of Jesus Christ, that new birth, is a miracle of God. Everyone that comes to repentance is a miracle of God. It's more than just... financial help and our car not breaking down and us picking up a hitchhiker and it just happened to be the right person to witness to. And I don't want to discredit those things, but those are the things you hear, how God helped you see that board in the road and you swerved and, oh, you didn't destroy your car. No, the miracles God is doing today is in the lives of people. Those are the miracles that we see. Those are the miracles that we want men to see, that change life. Uh, those that have been birthed of Christ and born by the word of God and that changed life in Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 80, to the chief musician, upon Shoshanamadeth, a psalm of Asaph, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. So he mentions two things. He's mentioned in the last couple of psalms that he's done. Thou let us thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Chapter Verse 13 to chapter 79, so we thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. The next Psalm he writes, he says, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Lord, would you listen to us? Would you take heed to us? You that led us by the hand of Moses and Aaron, you that shepherded us, you that guided us skillfully by your hands, that fed us in the wilderness, that sustained us and met our needs. He said, let us, Joseph, like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. And so again, he's calling on the Lord to hear them. He's calling the Lord to, to hearken to their voice. But then we see this psalm turns messianic fairly quickly in this, before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Now again, you say, what does that mean? Well, for God's face to shine is the glory of God, which is his son, Jesus Christ. They're looking for Jesus Christ. They're looking for their Messiah. They're longing for the face of God. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Jesus Christ. They're longing to see his face. And so they cried unto him. Verse 7, turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse 19, turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved save. Psalm 31 and verse 16, he said, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Psalm 67 and verse one, again, another mention goes right along with this. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Now it's interesting, the wording there, because I believe this King James Bible but they're praying to God. They're singing to God. God be merciful unto us and bless us, semicolon, and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. Why does it say his face? Because they're looking for the face of Jesus Christ. They're looking for Messiah. And so they're singing unto God. And in that, they ask that they can see the face of Messiah, that Redeemer of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, that he would shine forth unto them. Again, they're looking, they're longing, they're seeking for Jesus Christ. Psalm 119 and 135, make thy face to shine upon thy servant and teach me thy statutes. So we see the face of God to shine upon his people. That face is in the image of Jesus Christ. So again, even here, they're looking for that one which is to come. They're looking for the Redeemer of Israel. They're looking for the Holy One of Israel. O Lord God of hosts, verse 4, How long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Why? They're like Simeon in the temple. They're looking to see the salvation of the Lord. They want the deliverance of God to come in the person of Jesus Christ. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Now, Isaiah said of that, and he spake, of course, of, of the children of Israel. But we see in Isaiah chapter 5 that he said them well, this wise, and I found it interesting. Because he said, according to the scriptures of Isaiah, verse 1, Now will I sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. So he tells us the vineyard that his beloved planted was the house of Israel, but they grew wild grapes. He even put a wine press that they might have joy, but yet they had wild grapes why? Because they did not believe God. And so he said in the, the psalm here, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. What is that vine? I don't believe he's speaking of the house of Israel here. I don't believe he's speaking of that vineyard that's already been planted because by this time it's already been planted, but his vine came out of Egypt and I realized there could be those that would dispute and say, well, this is the vine. This is the house of Jacob that came out of Egypt. This is the vine that God planted. John the Baptist says to be hewn down by the root. God's going to take an ax and lay it to the root. God's going to destroy that vine because his vine is coming forth. Jesus Christ is that vine. He's that vine that God brought out of Egypt land and planted it that men might see him. Thou preparest room before it, and his cause to take deep root and filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs of him were goodly cedars. She sent out her boughs under the sea and her branches under the rivers. Why hast thou them broken down her hedges? so that all they which pass away do pluck her. The boar out of the wood doth waste in the wild beast, the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine. And the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou makest strong for thyself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Now, the problem I have, and again, I don't want to get mince words with anybody. I don't want to argue with somebody, but he planted this by his right hand. What is the right hand of God? It's Jesus Christ. It's the strength of God. His right hand is always reserved for the Son of God. And it was planted by his right hand. But you say, well, well, isn't this the same vineyard that was destroyed? The wild boars destroyed it? No, this is the vine that was planted that flourished upon Calvary. I believe this is Jesus Christ. I believe it's that vine that grew that men plucked down. That word there is key. Men took and they they rent him and destroyed him and put him on the cross and slew him, Peter told them. And then he goes on and says this, let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, verse 17, upon the son of man, whom thou made strong for thyself. So in the same passage, he said it's burned with fire, and it's cut down, Thy perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. He then identifies, let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Upon the son of man. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Whom thou madest strong for thyself. So will not we go back from thee? From the quicken us and we will call upon thy name. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. Now, I understand some of these things are hard to be understood. And again, I'm not going to get in an argument, I'm not going to debate about the vine. If you say that's the vine of Isaiah 5, you say that's the vine of Israel, that's the house of Jacob, I wouldn't dispute or argue with that. But I believe that key word there is at the right hand of God, the strength of his right hand, and the strength of his right hand is the Son of Man. And he said, let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the Son of Man. Why? He is the true vine. And my friend, I believe that Asaph has prophesied of that true vine, that one they slew, that one they nailed to the cross, that one they put in the grave. But my friend, after three days and three nights, he resurrected according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. He's alive forevermore, and he's seated on the right hand of God. Asaph, that great prophet of God, spake of this man, Jesus Christ. That's our take on Psalm 80. I pray it's a help. I pray it's a blessing. If you don't see that as Jesus Christ, be glad to discuss it. Don't hesitate to contact us, but I believe we're looking at Jesus Christ. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning And he longs to return to the Lord As he cries for forgiveness and mercy Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the